0: reveals the connection when you're studying the book of Hebrews always remember this it reveals the connection between the old and new testaments it wants us to know that Christianity is not some newfangled hair brain religion or denomination that Christianity is not a house without a foundation that Christianity and Judaism are linked that Christianity is the natural outgrowth Judaism, that the New Testament is the natural outgrowth of the Old Testament, and the common denominator in both testaments is a covenant keeping God who saves his people. A covenant keeping God who saves his people that's what we see in the Old Testament, that's what we see in the New Testament. A covenant keeping God, a God who makes promises, a God who says, I'll do this if you do that, a covenant keeping God. Who saves his people, both old and new. So God does not change. Be very careful in your understanding when you approach this. God does not change his character, his aim, his motive, his focus. God does not change from Old Testament to new. The only thing that changes are his methods. Okay, God's character, his heart toward us does not change. The only thing that changes are his methods. In fact, the core New Testament themes, if you wanted to boil the core New Testament themes down to like three things that that you could really just sew up the New Testament with these three things, it would be salvation by blood. Adoption by baptism. And being led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, just throw a dart anywhere in the New Testament, wherever the dart hits, it'll be something about being saved by the blood of Jesus, adopted into the family of God by water baptism or being led by the spirit. That's pretty much most of what it's about. But all of those themes are actually rooted in the Old Testament. Same thing, Old Testament. What's the main themes? Well, you got the Passover, which was nothing more than salvation by blood. They put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the lintel, and they were saved. So you got salvation by blood. Then Paul says that they were adopted into the family of God by baptism crossing the Red Sea. Okay, he said they went down into the Red Sea as slaves, as refugees fleeing their oppressors. But they came out of the Red Sea as sons or children of God, because baptism will always mean adoption. Baptism in the Old Testament means adoption. Baptism in the New Testament means adoption. So you got Passover, salvation by the blood, crossing the Red Sea, adoption by baptism, and then being led by the Spirit. Now, in the New Testament, we're led by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, they were led by a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But it's the same theme. Salvation by blood, adoption by baptism, being led by the Spirit. Now, notice the model. Old Testament and New models the same. Salvation by the blood. Adoption by baptism. Being led by the Spirit. Now, let's think about that last one, being led by the Spirit if we're going to say as Christians that we're being led to the spirit, the question then becomes led to what? Because the word led or leading implies there's a destination. So if you are being led by the spirit, my question is led to what led toward what? And we have to, We have to look back at the Old Testament model because this has already all played out in the Old Testament. We look back at the Old Testament model to get clued in. And the Old Testament model tells us that after salvation, after baptism and adoption, after being led by the Spirit, that God had more that he wanted to lead them into. That that there was more stuff, that there there was something else included in the package. And that God was leading them towards a promised land, a place he called a place of rest. Or as I like to call it, the rest of it. But to get them there, he had to lead them through a wilderness. And Hebrews reminds us that many of the people of God died in the wilderness, never entering into the promised place of rest they had been saved they had been baptized and they they's being led by the spirit and still died without getting the the rest of it that's disturbing because Paul writes that their lives that the old testament is a schoolmaster through which grace is derived that we understand our lives walking with Christ by looking back at that model That means it's possible for you to be saved by the blood, for you to be baptized in the name of Jesus, for you to be filled and led by the spirit and still die outside of all that God promised you and not get the rest of it. That's disturbing. You know, sometimes God will disturb you. Without God's disturbance, you're not sure that you're really his. If your faith never disrupts your life or makes you uncomfortable, if your faith never puts you in a conflict, then your faith is illegitimate. Faith doesn't bring peace. That's a misnomer. Faith brings war. Faith causes a war in the deepest part of you, inside your very being and nature, because faith will bring a conflict between the holy part of you and the human part of you. You see, if you have real faith, then you have been born again with a new nature and a new spirit. Okay. But but God when he when he saved you and he allows you to become born again he didn't he didn't yank out the old nature either. So now you got an old nature, the nature of the flesh that loves doing nasty just because nasty feels good. You got an old nature that has a temper and that, it, that is 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 prone to lust and is prone to lying and is prone to taking the easy way out and is prone to doing all the things that the Bible calls sin and you've been doing that a long time because it's the nature that you were born with. In fact Whenever you committed your first sin, no one had to teach you how to do it. You did it by nature. Then you get saved and all of a sudden there's this new holy nature. And for the first time, this holy nature wants to do right, wants to obey the word of God, wants to follow God. This holy nature feels convicted when you do something wrong and you sin. This holy nature makes you pray and makes you go back to people and tell them you're sorry when there's nothing on the inside of you that wants to go say I'm sorry. This holy nature will bother you when you're in positions and around people that you should not be with, that you know do not match up with your destiny and this holy nature will make you feel crazy sometimes because at 9 o'clock you want to go this way and do this but at 11 o'clock you're going this way and doing that and then you go back to this and then you go back to that and you feel schizophrenic but you're not. You've just got two natures warring against each other. Like twins in the womb, you cannot abort one from the other. And they're struggling and they're wrestling, seeing which one of them is going to be given birth to today. Faith brings a war. Faith highlights the inconsistencies of our lives. The conflict between where I am and where I'm supposed to be. Between... How I feel about me and what God has said about me. But between my carnal passions and my heavenly calling, faith puts a spotlight on it all. And we pray as we grow and mature in the things of God. And we are so disappointed with ourselves when we fall back into human behavior. I know you hadn't fallen back into any fleshly human behavior lately, but there's a few people in the church that even though they've been saved a long time, still sometimes they fall back into just human, fleshly, filthy behavior. And we pray when we fall because we feel so bad and we say, Oh God, I just wish the holy part of me would kill the human part of me. Never going to happen. And the enemy of your soul, Satan's, he's hoping and wishing, saying, I wish the human part would just overwhelm and kill the holy part. But grace says, ain't going to happen. They're both going to have to live and struggle together. And so we find ourselves like the Old Testament children of Israel at the same time slaves to an old flesh nature and yet freed by the power of God's salvation, saved by the blood and and baptized into adoption. And now we're walking around in our freedom, but we still got the taste for the food we used to eat in Egypt. Seeing miracles over here. And complaining about messes over here. Because we're not totally either one. We're both at the same time. Hallelujah. I know that's hard for you to hear. I know that may bother you. But we're both at the same time. And like them, we are walking through a wilderness. After salvation. After baptism. After we notice we're being led by the spirit, the next progressive step, according to the model is we go into a wilderness place, a dry, hot, difficult in between place. See, you can't, you can't tell it this morning because we're dressed up and we look nice. Some of us even put perfume or cologne on got our car washed before we drove up here and we look like we all got it going on but there's not one person in this building right now that is not going through right now some kind of wilderness wilderness in your marriage wilderness in your finances wilderness in your mental health wilderness in your life A hot, dry, painful place where it's hard for anything to grow because the ground is so rocky and hard. A place where your mental health is already depleted and yet demands keep being placed on you over and over again that you have to perform and you don't know how you're going to do the next task. You're in a wilderness. A wilderness where Comfort escapes you. The kind of place where you may sleep, but you never rest. So Hebrews chapter 4 anticipates that we got the same God, both Old Testament and New. And basically we got him working with the same ingredients, people. And human nature, it doesn't change that much through the millennia of time. Ecclesiastes said it like this, there's nothing new under the sun. So so Hebrews anticipates that some of the problems they had in the Old Testament, even after salvation, baptism, And being led by the Spirit, he anticipates that that we'll have some of those problems in the New Testament. Even after salvation, baptism, and being filled with the Spirit. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, he starts with a warning. He said, therefore, since a promise remains, why does the promise remain? Because they didn't get it. They got some of it. They got deliverance. But they didn't get the rest of it. They got brought across the Red Sea, but they didn't get the rest of it. They got manna every morning and quail every evening, but they didn't get the rest of it. They got healed from snake bites in the wilderness by looking at the brazen serpent, but they didn't get the rest of it. Moses struck a rock that began to water a million and a half people, and that is amazing, but they didn't get the rest of it. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that they left something on the table. That God intended for them to have. How about you? Oh pastor I'm saved. They were too. I've been baptized right. They were too. I'm being led by the spirit. They were too. Same spirit. So he says a promise remains. Of entering his rest, or what I want to call the rest of it. Let us fear. Oh, there better be. See, that initial reaction is what you expect from 95% of church people. It should give you great alarm when you read something like this in the Bible. Because 99.9% of the verses in the Bible about fear are commanding you not to do it. Except this text said, let us. That bothers me. That bothers me. The God that said, fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed for the Lord. Your God will be with you wherever you go. The God that said that also said this, the God that said, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but spirit of power, love and a sound mind that God said, said this. Do you know that there are over 365 references in the scripture that say in some kind of way, do not fear. God put one reference saying, do not fear for every day of your year. That's how much he didn't want you to fear. And yet now in Hebrews 4, he's telling me, you need to fear. Is the Bible contradicting itself? No. Rather, it's a collaboration of truth. There are many things God commands us not to fear, but one thing he wants us to fear. He wants us to fear not entering the rest. The rest of what he has for us. He wants us to fear, you know, going through salvation, baptism, and being led by the spirit. And still coming short of the place he destined us to end up. Now, if anything... I'm scared of that. I'm scared of hearing the gospel and learning about God and getting saved and getting baptized and being filled by the Spirit and coming to church and paying my tithes and living my life the way I do and still... Still not getting the rest of it. Now, I've noticed with this, the things we should not fear blind us to the things... We should fear. Things we should not fear, you know, like people. Scrawny neck people. Neck so little looks like their head's going to fall over and just cause their whole body to break. Scrawny neck people, you ought never let fear of a person cause you to be held back from anything God has for you. Fear of people. Fear of the enemy. Fear of being too bold or aggressive, fear of stepping out, fear of opposition, fear of giants, or even fear of our own selves. What's insidious about it is those things that we shouldn't fear somehow block us from seeing the one thing that we should fear. Let's look at the model. You with me? You paying attention? Let's look at the Old Testament model: Passover, salvation by the blood, and then they go through baptism, coming out of the Red Sea, and then the Spirit begins to lead them, uh, cloud by day, fire by night, and and then eventually you fast forward forty years because because they just couldn't get it time and time and time and time and time and time and time, and time again, and, and and they get to the Promised Land, and you know Moses he sends in the spies, and he said, all right, God told us we could have. This spot. Watch these two fears. Ten of the twelve spies go in and they see the giants and they come back scared of the giants. Wrong fear. Joshua and Caleb see the giants and then see how the ten spies responded and Joshua and Caleb come back and they're afraid that the negative report of the ten will influence the rest of the camp not to go after the rest of what God promised them. Two fears. And God told that whole generation that decided not to go possess because of the giants. He told that whole generation, you're not going to be able to enter into the promise. Because you had the wrong fear. You were more afraid of the giants than you were afraid of not possessing what I destined you to have. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that the model has been the same for the Christians. We were saved by the blood of Jesus. We were baptized in water in his name. We were filled and are being led by his spirit. But God is leading us to a place. And when we come to the place, God wants us to be more afraid of not possessing possessing it than we are of the opposition standing around it. We got to have the right kind of fear. And He said the only thing I want you to fear is, is living and dying with me investing so much power into you and yet because of the things you shouldn't fear you keep the things you shouldn't fear You let those keep you from from entering the rest. And you should have been more afraid of not getting the rest than you were. Verse two, it's not a word problem for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Watch this. This this is my least favorite verse in the Bible. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. I I, I don't even like preaching it because I'm a preacher and I spend so much of my life concentrated on the power of the word. You understand that the word of scripture and the word we preach is by nature the same word that God used to create the world. So I have a hard time believing that there's a scenario where the word won't work, but the word said there is. As powerful as the word is, if the hearer does not mix their faith with the word sent, then the word that was sent does not profit. uh, Profit. Oh, profit. Maybe you don't understand it because maybe you don't understand profit. Let's break profit down. Profit is what you have left when a transaction is complete. Profit is not how much you have. It's how much you have left. If you go broke on the deal, you didn't profit. But even if you break even on a deal, you didn't profit. You only have profit after you've deducted all of the liabilities from your assets and you still have something left. And life, (laughs) life will make deductions. But life Life will will take you through some transactions. Life will demand payment from you just to survive sometimes. And what's disturbing about this, it didn't say that Israel didn't have battles in the wilderness because they did. It didn't even say that Israel didn't have victories in the wilderness because they did. What it said was after all of the deductions were made, after all of the battles were fought and the price was paid to survive, after it was all over, they had nothing left. They had no profit, no leftover with which to pursue the rest, which was waiting. My question is after all of the deductions that life has taken out of you, Do you have anything left? See, every time you survive something hard, it costs you something of yourself. My little boy laid in the neonatal ICU for six months. And we made it. Me and his mama, we made it, and he made it too. But before you clap, it cost me something. It it, it took a a toll. You ever had to pay a toll? It took a toll on me. When Katie got pregnant with Samuel, after that, they told us the same thing was going to happen. Everything went wrong, complications early in the pregnancy, and she had to go on six months of bed rest. Basically, she had to live in a jail with a bed. Going to the restroom on a bedpan, just living in misery for six months. Also, not only was she struggling, I now had full responsibility of caring for Levi with all of his therapy several days a week and all of his needs and all the things he was going through and trying to pastor the church and trying to keep myself together. And and I survived it. But, but, took a toll, took a deduction, made a demand. There was a transaction. I I had to bury all four of my grandparents in five years. And I survived it. I I made it. I'm here today. I'm still here. But there was some some deductions. There was a transaction. I had to pay a price. I'm not standing here as whole as I was. I had to pay something out of me to get through it. And not just me, but you. Nobody in the world knows like you what it has cost you to maintain your existence in this earth. Nobody in this world knows what it has cost you to survive after the mental health struggles that you've been through. Nobody in this world knows what it has cost you to survive raising those kids God trusted you with. Nobody in this world knows what it has cost you to survive the abuse you encountered, the neglect you encountered, being forsaken by people that should have been responsible, and yes, you're still here. But you had to pay a price. And what I'm asking you is. After all the prices that you've had to pay. Because you survived that failed relationship. And you put a smile on your face. But when that relationship failed. You just getting out of bed the next morning. You had to pay. You had to pay a price. You, you, had, you had to pay a price. You had to pay a price when you got fired and you felt like just going and quitting and throwing everything away. But you put your resume back together. You got yourself dressed, went out back on the job hunt. You survived, but but you paid a price. And, and, and what I'm asking you is, is, is after all the prices that you've had to pay, Is there anybody in the building that still has something left? That still has a profit, a leftover, after all of the things you've had to survive? I want to tell you, if you still got something left, you owe God a praise. If you still got something left after what you've been through, you owe God a praise because there's a lot of people that went through the same situations that you went through, but they came out of it with nothing left. See now. <laughs> refuse to have gone through all of the things I have gone through. I refuse to survive all of the things I have survived. I refuse to have lived my life the way I have had to live my life and then get to the place where God promised me I could have and forfeit the rest of it because I have nothing left. I want the devil to know I've taken his punches. I've taken his best shot, but I still got something left. And I want the rest of it! I want the rest of it! I ain't prayed this long for nothing. I want the rest of it. I ain't fasted it, worked it, shouted it, studied it, and been faithful for nothing. I want the rest of it! Give me the rest of it! Give me the rest of it! Give me the rest of it! I thank God for the blood of Jesus that purchased my salvation. I thank God for baptism in Jesus' name which sealed me as a child of God. I thank God for his spirit that leads me and guides me and indwells me, but I want the rest of it. I want the rest of it. You got some for me, God. I want the rest of it. You got some planned for me, God. I want the rest of it. You got some in mind for me, God. I want the rest of it. I'm sick of my praise being limited to the category of I survived it. I said. I'm sick of my praise being limited to, oh God, I thank you. I survived. I'm ready to give God praise for houses I didn't build and vineyards I didn't crawl and opportunities I didn't work up and and divine connections that make no sense and and destiny appointments and, and open doors. I want the rest of it. I wish I could get 10 people to get an attitude in your faith and start saying, I want the rest of it. Nothing left. See, there, there is a problem that will come to you in life that will demand everything you have. Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! Oh God, speak to <in> your people. There, there is. There is a problem that will come and it will knock on your door and say, Hi, good morning. I'm here for everything you got. You got cancer. Hi, I'm here for everything you've got. Here's this foreclosure notice on your door. Hi, I'm here for everything you've got. Your very livelihood depends on transportation, and today we're taking your car. Hi, I'm here for all you've got. I'm a storm of depression and mental anxiety, and I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to move in for the next 18 months. There is trouble. There is difficulty. There is pain. There are physical challenges and emotional challenges. You know how when you've had a hard day, but you're okay and you're excited to go home, and then you walk in and your husband hands you divorce papers. I don't love you anymore. There is. There's a problem that will just say whatever's in your register. Whatever's in your supply house. Give me all of it. And see the danger of doing what Israel did. There was a time in their lives where they did mix their faith with the word because the Bible said when Moses told them to go put the blood on the doorpost that every one of them did it. They wouldn't have done it if they didn't mix their faith with the word that was spoken. So there was a time. But the danger is the longer you walk with God, the more desensitized you become to him. The longer you live by faith and read your Bible and go to church, the easier it is to slip into complacency. And you no longer see this time in the service as you getting a word from God. You see this time as the preaching. And Israel went through battle after battle after battle after battle and they won most of them. But the toll that the battle takes, the cost of survival, and the fact that they stopped mixing their faith with the word of God caused them to be done with the season of warfare and be approaching and looking at the rest of it. But they didn't have nothing left. On the flip side of it, if you can somehow maintain that tenderness to keep mixing your faith with the word of God, something upside down and strange happens. When you mix your faith with the word of God, God turns your losses (laughs) into profits i'll prove it to you some of your greatest testimonies just think back in your life some of your greatest testimonies that you've given in church or given to people or prayer partners some of your greatest testimonies have come after a loss After something was extracted from you, after something was taken out, after something came and hit you and wounded you and hurt you, and then after that, somehow something amazing happened, and you ended up with more after the loss than you had before the loss. I don't know who I'm preaching to, don't leave me up here by myself. Have you ever lost a job and thought you were at a deficit? And then God have oh, God open a door and give you a better job, and you would get more after the loss than you were before the loss. Where you at? Where you at? You ever lost a vehicle, Victoria? And then have God give you a better vehicle after the loss than you had before the loss to begin with? Where you at? Don't leave me up here. You ever lost a relationship that you thought you couldn't lose, you thought you were going to die because that relationship ended, only to live long enough to find out that person wasn't good for you anyway, and God give you a new circle and better people after the loss? Oh, I wish people that know what I'm talking about would give God a 10-second praise. will not stop life from hitting you. It will not stop the enemy from attacking you, and it will not stop the withdrawals you will have to pay. But what it will do, if you keep mixing your faith with the Word of God spoken, is it will make sure after every trial, after every trauma, after every storm, after every difficulty, that you come out the other side of it with some profit. Give God a praise in this house. So that means to receive a word, you need two functions, two things. Are you listening? To receive a word, you got to have two things. I ain't preaching like this because I'm mad at you. I'm mad at the devil. I don't look so nervous. To receive a word, you've got to have two things, two functions. Number one, you got to have an anointed preacher with a word from God. Here I is. Number two, you got to have a hearer who is willing to take the word preached and. With their faith. Katie's Katie's a health nut. And uh she got these protein shakes. It's just a carton you put in the fridge. And it's for her, but I tasted it and liked it, so now it's for me. And, uh, And it's amazing, it's got everything you need. It's got full servings of protein for your muscles. It's got stuff for recovery. It's got stuff for energy. It's got all your vitamins for the day in it. But right there on the box, it says, shake well. Because the manufacturer wants you to know everything you need is down inside this carton. But if you just open the top without mixing it, you're only going to sip off the top of a blessing and not get the rest of the benefits. So before you enjoy it, you got to shake it well and mix. The word did not profit them because they stopped taking it they stopped mixing it with their faith if you can learn especially during the trials of your life when life comes and says I want everything if you can learn let me help those of you that are in a hard trial this morning I want to talk, I just want to talk to the people that are hurting this morning. Like life is hurting real bad right about now. And you're wondering what this is. It's not the devil. It's God allowing the word you have received to be mixed with your faith by the shaking. Which means if you can somehow receive the word during this level of pain that you're under on the other side of this problem you're going through today, you're going to come out of this thing with a prophet. In fact, I prophesy you're going to come out of this thing you're in right now with a prophet or with something left. This thing will not take everything you've got. When this is over, you're going to have something left. I speak these things to you by the word of the Lord. If you receive it, give God a praise to those of you, the devil has been telling this is gonna be the thing that takes it. I feel so many of you in the room They're telling, the voices are telling you this is it. This is that problem that comes along that demands. And if I make it through this, I don't know if I will, but if I make it through this, I know I'm not going to have anything left. If you will somehow understand that every action Requires an equal and opposite reaction. It's not enough for God just to throw the word from heaven. You have to position yourself on earth to catch and receive what he's throwing. And if you can somehow catch and receive, see, the faith is not the mix. He said the word didn't profit them because it was not mixed with faith. Don't misunderstand. Faith is not the mix. Just like if you're making a cake, butter is not the mix. Sugar is not the mix. Flour is not the mix. Eggs are not the mix. They're ingredients that go in the mix. Your faith is an ingredient. So God said, I'm going to send the word. You put in the faith in response to the word. And then I'll let what the enemy meant for evil, the trouble, the affliction, the difficulty, the warfare, I'll let that serve as the mixing bowl so that on the other side of the trial, you went in with faith and the word. And on the other side of the trial that was meant to take everything from you, you made a profit. Those of you in a financial trial, you're going to make a profit. Not only are you going to get this thing covered and taken care of, listen to me, you're going to come out of this with more than you went into it with. It's what happened when they took the three Hebrew boys and they threw them in the fire. It was a shaking. It was a trial. It was meant to demand everything. But he said, wait a second. My math is off. We threw three in there. but now there's four I don't know about you three and then four that's a that's a prophet Jesus took five loaves and two fish fed 20,000 people and then took up 12 baskets full of if he would have just fed everybody it wouldn't have been a prophet he would have broke even but he had 12 baskets of leftovers to prove when God gets involved in your shaking and your trouble, and you're able to mix your faith with the word that he's sending you, you always come out of the shaking. You always come out of the mixer. So here's what you do. After the demands of life, after the difficult seasons, after the things that come that threaten to take everything. Here's what you do when you notice that because of your faith being mixed with the word, that you're still here and you have a prophet. You take what you have left and you say, now, God, I'm going after the rest of it. Stand to your feet. Give him praise. If you can write while you're standing, I have three quick takeaway points. I know it wasn't very explanatory today. I was kind of preachy today. So I've got three takeaway points that I need to give you. These are takeaway points to mix your faith with the word. Number one, fully digest the word by listening to it until you can repeat it. Listen, you have not fully received the word I just preached to you. Until you can kind of take me back through the high points of the outline because you've listened to it so much, you don't really have it. I mean, you're amazing, but even even the best, you know, uh, people with uh, attention retaining abilities, I mean, you can't get everything from a 50 minute sermon just from hearing it once so go back online and when a word hits you I mean some messages you won't even like the word wasn't for you that day oh well come to church anyway but when the word hits you you better go back and listen to that message until you could tell a friend about it and you not leave anything out listen and re-listen and and when you do that when it gets in you to the point that you can repeat it then you've got it You don't have it until you can. Why is that true? Because you cannot give what you do not have. If you cannot give what you do not have, that means you can't give this message away by listening to it once. If you can't give it away, you didn't have it. So listen to the message till You have it in its entirety. It's all free. It's all online. We don't sell CDs or anything like that because it's free. Just go listen to it. Point number two. Whenever the word includes an instruction to act respond immediately because faith gestates when you act on what you believe okay faith begins a gestation period a growing a growing a growing and growing an acceleration period when you take an instruction you got from the word and you immediately go out and act on it okay and then finally this is my favorite one number three for god's sake Attend the special conferences and revivals you're invited to, especially when your pastor has worked so hard to make them available to you to ensure that your spiritual advancement year by year. The aim is to lead you into the rest of it. Here, pastor. like that was so much I'm gonna read it again for God's sake attend the special conferences and revivals you are invited to especially when your pastor has worked so hard to make them available to you to ensure your spiritual advancement year by year because the aim is to lead you into I was being a little funny on that but I I meant every word of it it is so let me just open up my heart to you for a minute When God instructs me to do an an event or a meeting and and he instructs me who to invite, I just want to tell you, it's not that easy to bring somebody from Harare, Zimbabwe over here. If you don't believe me, get out your phone real quick, go to Travelocity and just Google a plane ticket from Harare to here. Just have fun. It's not easy to schedule. It's not easy for our team to produce it and make it happen. And we're supposed to be what God called us in the scripture is a church family. This shouldn't be a place you're loosely connected to. And for those of you that are loosely connected, it's time to get connected. And revivals and conferences and times where we're together for days on end, it leaves you on another level. It's a spiritual pilgrimage pilgrimage that brings elevation just by being a part of it. I want you to look at your calendar. It's not, it's not this coming Wednesday. It's the next Wednesday, the 16th, 17th, and 18th. I'm giving you a word of instruction. you got to mix your faith with it. you got to act on it. Be here for it. I believe you're going to be blessed by it. There's, there's 30 people in here that are approaching a promise of God before the end of the month of June. You're approaching a promise of God. In fact, this isn't you if you can't see it. Okay? So if you hadn't seen it yet, I'm not talking to you. There's 30 people that are approaching a promise of God before the end of the month of June. And you've just, you've just seen enough of it to see the giants and the obstacles around it, and you're scared of it. 30 people. I give you this challenge to sow a $100 seed and on your, on your envelope. In fact, if you normally give by text, give, give by envelope today because I want you to do something. I want you to write the rest of it on your envelope. I want you to sew toward that promise. Put Just put the rest of it. In fact, everybody that's giving, even if you're not giving $100, get as close to that as you can. I feel that faith challenge to put on you. Get, get a, as close to a $100 offering as you can. If it's $50, if it's $30, get as close as you can. I don't want anybody to be here and not participate in this offering because the Spirit of God is moving and flowing in this place. And I just want you to write the rest of it. The rest of it. The rest of it. If you already gave by your phone, write out the rest of it in an envelope anyway. Just put an envelope anyway and put the rest of it. I want you to see yourself right, the rest of it. I believe God is leading many of you to a place after salvation, after baptism, after the leading of the Spirit, that you can start to take possession of the rest, the rest. God, you said in your word that you listen when we pray, that when we come together in faith, as little as two or three of us, that you're with us and you hear us and you help us. God, I ask you to look down at the seed, the offering, the sacrifice that these people are gathering right now. Lord, the promises that you have for them are yes and amen. I pray against the wrong fear and I pray for the appropriate fear of not possessing all that you promised us let it come on them now and father let your blessing come upon their finances upon their children upon their homes upon their jobs upon their vehicles let your blessing meet them because they responded to you in faith they're acting on what they believe in god i pray a blessing a quick blessing for them in the name of jesus stand to your feet may the lord god bless you and keep you may he lift his countenance upon you may he give you peace may he strengthen you spirit soul and body and may you never stop going after the rest of it you can come and give your offerings you're dismissed